is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning. Thank you as always for being with us. A little wet out there. A little, 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 little damp. And it's still blowing and raining. So anyway, also, we will have Patrick Connor joining us today at 1115 after we come back after our first break. He is the state director for the National Federation of Independent Business, and he will be talking about what is taking place in the legislative session in Olympia. Let's start out today, though, with our weekly wrap-up, and we saw the market logged gains this week, which brought the S&P 500 to a fresh record highs. Gains were more broad-based compared to last week, which featured the outperformance of mega-cap stocks. The market cap-weighted S&P 500 climbed 1.1% this week, as did the S&P 500 Equal Weight ETF. The broadening out of buying activity left 8 of 11 S&P 500 sectors higher this week. The energy sector saw the largest gain, jumping 5.2%, followed by communication services sector, which gained 4.5%. The three laggards to log a decline were consumer discretionary down one4 real estate down a half, and health care down two-tenths of 1%. The consumer discretionary sector was clipped by a big loss in shares of Tesla, which dropped 13.6% this week after disappointing earnings and guidance. Microsoft was a winning standout for the mega cap space, topping $3 trillion in market cap for the first time this week. Other notable names that disappointed with earnings and or guidance in addition to Tesla included Humana, 3M, Johnson & Johnson, AT&T, DuPont, and Kimberly Clark. But Intel, Texas Instruments, KLA Corporation also sold off after reporting quarterly results, which weighed on the broader semiconductor space at an offset earnings strength in AMSL. The PHLX Semiconductor Index dropped eight-tenths of one percent. Companies that received positive reactions to earnings and results under guidance included Netflix, United Airlines, Verizon, and Procter & Gamble. This week brought some pleasing data in terms of ongoing strength in the economy and cooling inflation. The advanced fourth-quarter GDP report showed that real GDP rose 3.3% versus an expected 2%, and that the GDP price deflator increased 1.5% versus an expected 2.8%. Personal income increased three-tenths of 1% month-over-month in December as expected, but personal spending increased a much stronger than expected seven-tenths of 1%. The inflation gauges were spot-on with expectations. The PCE price index was up two-tenths of 1% month-over-month, as was the core PCE price index, which excludes food and energy. With the December changes, the PCE price index is up 2.6% year-over-year, unchanged from November, and the PCE price index is up 2.9%. That's the lowest since March of 2021 versus 3.2% in November. Treasury set a little change from last Friday following the pleasing economic releases. The 10-year note yield settled one basis point higher at 4.16%. The two-year note dropped five basis points this week to 4.36%. The price action followed... Oops, get my page here. Thick paper today. The price action followed Wednesday's $61 billion five-year note auction, which met poor demand, and Tuesday's stronger $60 billion two-year note. Interesting to note that little uh, note there that the five-year auction just tells us that the uh, markets are having a hard time accepting longer-rate interest uh, bonds right now or bond to buy them, and so the government's having a hard time selling those longer-term paper. And um, so that's a good indication that maybe interest rates are not going to go down as quickly as we would like them to. In other news, the People's Bank of China cut its required reserve ratio for commercial banks by 50 basis points. That would be one half of 1%. So year to date, uh, up to this point, I'm going to not give all the detail today because I have Patrick joining us. But year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, as of yesterday, was up 1.1%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average.
The NASDAQ is up 3%. The S&P 500 is up 2.5%. And the Russell 2000 is down 2.4%. You know, we like to uh, look at different uh, topics every week. And this week, I'm going to take a look at the S&P 500 index for last year, 2023. It's widely regarded as a barometer of the overall stock market. The S&P 500 index tracks the performance of the 500 of the largest companies listed on the U.S. stock exchanges. The S&P index adopts a market cap weighted approach, allocating a higher percentage of the index to companies with larger market cap, that means larger companies in size, adjusting the number of shares available to, to trade publicly. For 2023, the S&P 500 index delivered a total return of 26.3%. Serving as a benchmark for the broader stock market, many investors found themselves disappointed as their portfolios did not experience comparable growth last year, falling short of the 26% mark. To unravel the reasons behind this disparity, along with other valuation metrics, we're going to give you some thoughts to think about. Number one, the S&P 500 index, if you take a look at the attribution, that's how those gains were made. If you adhered to the advice of financial professionals, and we believe you should, and build a highly diversified portfolio last year, you may have seen your performance lagging the S&P 500 index. The reason lies in the dominance of the so-called Magnificent Seven companies last year. Apple, Nvidia, Microsoft, Amazon, Tesla, Alphabet, and Meta. Astonishing, uh, astonishingly, these seven giants currently boost a combined 25.9% weighting of the S&P 500 index. That means that the cap weight of those six companies is over a quarter of the entire 500 S&P 500, and that contributed to most of the returns in the market last year. The S&P 500 total return grew 26.3. The magnets of seven accounted for 60.2% of this return. Last year, through the end of October, the Magnificent Seven alone accounted for more than 100% of the total return, implying that the collective performance of those remaining 493 companies was negative for the year. So far in 2024 through the 23rd of January, the Magnificent Seven have accounted for 73.7% of the 2.17% return of the S&P. So let's take a look at the forward price earnings ratio for the S&P segment based on 23 earnings per share. And earnings declined in the first and second quarters of 2023. They rose in the third, and they're on the set pace to rise in the fourth. But for all of 23, earnings are expected to be down slightly. Yet in 2023, the S&P 500 index total returns surged by 26.3%. This led to an increase in the price-to-earnings multiple, or P.E. ratio for the S&P index, which expanded to 22.4 at the end of 2023 from 17.1 at the start of the year. That means the price index of the earnings is 22.4 times the index, uh, or the earnings of the index. Anyway, the notable expansion last year could be primarily attributed to the extraordinary price performance of those magnificent seven. Their P.E. has experienced a significant surge from 22.8 at the beginning of the year to 37, so 37.6. So that's the price-earnings ratio of those seven companies. Went from 22.8 times earnings at the beginning year to 37.6. In contrast, the P.E. for the other 493 companies moved much less dramatically in 2023, from 16.1 times earnings to 19.4. So let's take a look also at the percentage of S&P members that are outperforming the index. And as with the everything rally took hold in the final two months of 2023, 57% of the S&P 500 index members beat the benchmark over this period. But even with wider breadth for the last two months of the year, only 27% of the stocks beat the index performance for 2023, resulting in the narrowest market since 1995. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live. We'll be right back and be joined by Patrick Connor. Thank you for being with us. Hi, I'm Henry Winkler. My eyes are very important to me. My eyes connect me with things I love. I loved my late father-in-law dearly. He always lit up a room. 
but his vision dimmed with age. He had age-related macular degeneration, or AMD. And since partnering with Apellus, I've learned there's an advanced form of the disease called geographic atrophy, or GA. His struggle with vision loss made me want to help others know about GA's warning signs. For some, straight lines seem wavy, like when looking at a doorframe. For others, blurry or missing spots can make it hard to read or see loved ones' faces. Many have trouble seeing in low light, making driving at night difficult. GA gets worse over time and cannot be reversed. If you've been diagnosed with AMD and notice vision changes, don't wait. Talk to your eye doctor about GA today. Learn more at gawontwait.com. That's gawontwait.com. Hi, I'm Tom Borthwick, the Diamond King. Hear ye, hear ye. I want all my town folk in Ferndale to have love. Love is a powerful thing. God designed two people to love and show appreciation to each other by giving gifts. Love is shown in many ways. Have you shown your love lately? Diamonds show mad, crazy, passionate love. Diamonds say, I am loved. Diamonds say, I love you. Shop at Borthwick Jewelry and have love in your life. Exit 262, Ferndale. Tuning into the high school football game. Monitoring the incoming storm. They say what I think, but smarter. Catching your favorite talk show. These are just few of the reasons more than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio. And AM radio is the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping you and your family safe in dangerous times. Visit wearebroadcasters.com to learn more and tell us how you depend on AM radio stations like KGMI. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning. We're Asset Advisors. We are located out on the Pacific Highway. That's old Highway 99 out in the Pacific Commerce Center next to Wilson's Furniture. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number is 360-733-1200. And check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. Okay, as I mentioned, I have online with me today Patrick Connor. Patrick is the state director for the National Federation of Independent Business. I think you've been on with us for the last three or four years during the legislative session, Patrick. So welcome back, and maybe let people know what the NFIB is to start out today. Well, great. Thanks very much, Dick, and it's uh, wonderful to be back on the program with you now that the session has begun again. Uh, so NFIB, the National Federation of Independent Business, is the voice of small business here in Olympia and nationwide. Uh, we advocate for our members who are all small independent business owners uh, before the legislature, the regulatory agencies, and when we have to, even the courts. So we are, as I mentioned, the voice of small business uh, in Olympia and, and around the country. So legislature's back at it. Short session, supposedly, 60 days. Uh, I get your weekly summaries. It says here that you're tracking about 120 bills altogether. Kind of interesting in looking at it because a lot of times I know your summary, you kind of have ongoing action from week to week on different bills. And this year I'm seeing kind of different different bills coming up all the time. It sounds to me like you're a pretty busy guy down there. <laughs> well, trying to keep up with uh, everything can be a bit of a challenge. As you mentioned, it's a short 60-day session this year, but that uh, sure doesn't deter lawmakers from introducing uh, dozens of bills. Uh, each <laughs> totals, uh, you know, more than a thousand, uh, even during a short session. So, yeah, there are 120 bills that we've got our eye on that either are going to be heard or uh, would have some impact on small business owners and their operations. So, uh, hopefully, next Wednesday at cutoff, we'll see that number decrease. But in the meantime, we are hopping from committee to committee, trying to keep up with uh, all the all the help that government wants to give us. All the help they want to give us. Yeah, we need that. <laughs> hey, uh, well, you sent out your summaries, and, and you know, as I said, usually I see some continuing commentary on different pieces of legislation that are moving their way through. And uh, like I said, this year it seems like there's uh, 
you know, week one, you have a group of bills. Week two, you have a group of bills. And week three, you had maybe a little bit of uh, return co- coverage. But um, why don't we start out for the first week, the first your first week summary. Are there bills in there that you think we specifically need to focus on? I mean, you're, you're, you're the guy down there, and you're going to all these legislative hearings, and you're testifying and whatever. So why don't we let you kind of take the lead on what bills you think are important? Uh well, the ones that we are watching that we think have legs, uh, one in particular uh, has a House and a Senate version, but it would grant unemployment insurance benefits to workers who choose to go on strike. Uh, we've got some con- concerns about that for a few different reasons. Uh, first, the unemployment insurance account is supposed to pay benefits to workers who lose their jobs through no fault of their own. It's not supposed to be a backstop to the union so they can go out on strike, uh, trying to get, uh, you know, better wages, working conditions, benefits, and whatnot. Um, And, in fact, it would really turn that relationship on its head. Historically, uh, unions who are heading into negotiations or have engaged in negotiations and those are not going their way uh, would save up dues dollars. Uh, The union members would contribute additional dues in some cases building up that strike war chest so they could take care of their workers who choose to leave their jobs. This bill or this package of bills would shift that responsibility away from the unions and striking workers and put it solely on employers and not just the employer who's being struck, but the way these benefits work, they're spread out over each and every employer uh, in the state. Uh, they socialize those costs. So, you could be a, a small business owner like you located in Whatcom County right. and be on the hook for having to help pay those benefits, potentially pay higher premiums or higher unemployment insurance taxes because uh, you've got a, a business in Spokane that's on strike. Um, so what, what, happens with the, uh, what happens with the union dues on all this? Where does that money go? Well, they tend to use them for other benefits than other activities. Um, we know trying to get Including anything done. Political they, donations. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Yes, they, <laughs> yes, they are very good about using dues and political contributions to get their way in the legislature, and it looks like that may happen here, so unless we have a, a strong outpouring from folks that say this is not right. Uh, we shouldn't be pay, paying people not to work, and we shouldn't be penalizing employers in Watcom for the activities in Seattle or Spokane or Vancouver. I don't understand how they think they can charge. I mean, I'm a self-employed person. I've been self-employed for my entire business career, but I don't understand how they can how they can raise my unemployment insurance rates, uh, you know, to cover other organizations or other employees or other companies or whatever around the country, around the state that are out on strike. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it's uh, it is a bit of a head scratcher, but uh, the way the law reads is that uh, instead of being experience rated against the employer, which would create its own problems, the cost of benefits to striking workers instead is they call it socialized, uh, and so mm-hmm. that means it's spread out over every employer that uh, uh, that's in the state um, because all employers are required to contribute into the unemployment insurance fund. So, um, so if Boeing goes on strike, mm-hmm. every small employer in the state would be paying money to those employees that are on strike. Basically, because every employer has to pay into the trust fund. The trust fund then distributes those benefits out to those striking workers. And if there's not enough money left in the trust fund, um, or it gets uh, there are certain triggers established in law. So if it gets too low the balance gets too low, then an additional uh, surcharge or rate increase uh, can be the the result. So, um, yeah, it it seems fundamentally unfair to us as well. Why should small businesses not involved in the strike still be at risk of potentially higher unemployment insurance taxes uh, in order to pay benefits for workers who decided to leave their job uh, of of their own free will? So what do you think the status is of the legislation? Uh, well, both bills in the House and the Senate are moving, so I think this is going to be a, a fight for the next couple of weeks. Um, they've got until Wednesday to report the bills out of the House, which they are planning to do uh, out of the House committee, excuse me. Um, and so I think we're headed towards some floor fights here um, middle of next week or, or early the uh, week after. Wow. 
That is interesting. Well, we're about maybe 50 minutes ahead of our normal break time, but I think I'm going to go ahead and take our break, and we're going to come back, and you can uh, pick another couple, three pieces of legislation for the next segment, and we'll move on from that point, if that's okay, Pat. So, Terrific. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll be back shortly. Thanks for listening. A crisp company logoed shirt or uniform from Bergen. Whatcom County's local logo apparel experts makes your employees look and feel more professional. Bergen pairs their commitment to personal service with professional results. Specializing in embroidery and all kinds of logoed promotional products. Unlike when you place an order online, Bergen's guarantees that your order will be completed on time to your specifications with a smile. Get your logo on the best brand names out there from North Face, Carhartt, Columbia, Russell Outdoor, Adidas and Izod, Van Heusen, Tommy Hilfiger, and more. Your employees will want to rep your brand in Bergen's logoed work apparel. And why not start a new company tradition with Employee Milestones Appreciation Customized Gear? Elevate your brand with Bergen Customized Company Apparel. From polos to sweatshirts, ball caps to bags and more. Bergen does it all. Give them a call to get a quote within 24 hours. Or stop by the showroom Monday through Thursday on Iron Gate in Bellingham. And online at bergenembroidery.com. 62, 63, 64, Medicare. So many of us get hung up on our age, but what we fail to realize, we've been paying for health insurance since we were old enough to work, which means we may actually be getting a raise once we're on Medicare. Sound complicated? Let D&D Insurance help make the complicated task of enrolling for your health insurance a little less complicated. I'm Derek, and my wife Denise and I, along with our amazing staff of family and friends, keep things running here at D&D Insurance. We try to help anyone and everyone navigate this ever changing world of health insurance. Whether you're retiring and trying to figure out Medicare supplements and Medicare Advantage plans, or you're self-employed and needing a plan for yourself and family, we're here to help. We're located across the street from Industrial Credit Union in the Ferndale Market Center. See you at D&D Insurance, where we try to make the complicated uncomplicated. KGMI Connects with Joe Tian is about our community and you. Yeah, I happen to believe that the Bellingham, Whatcom County, uh, the Fraser River Delta, and Nooksack is an enormous healing area. Each weekday at 4 p.m. I'm the old dog. When I walk down railroad, I'm the one who knows who just got here and who didn't. I see them, they're so angry from where they came from, and then through the years, they mellow out because there's a healing energy here. On KGMI 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. No gimmicks, just the highest quality systems, 0% interest financing, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Rely on West Mechanical heating, air conditioning, and electrical. Contact them today at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and mybellinghamnow.com. CBS News Brief. A jury has ordered former President Trump to pay $83.3 million to E. Jean Carroll on top of the $5 million a jury awarded to her last year in a sex assault and defamation case. Loyola professor Jessica Levinson says. I think it will be difficult to obtain this money, but I think obviously with a verdict this big and with a former president who brags about his wealth, then it is possible. Senators are still trying to close a deal on immigration policy, and White House spokeswoman Corrine Jean says... House Republicans, they have a choice to make, right? They have to choose whether they want to solve a problem or, you know, get in the way. President Biden is reaching out for black voters in South Carolina, where former President Trump is the favorite for Republicans. CBS News political analyst Leslie Sanchez. It's a general election campaign now, despite the friction that may be happening on the Republican side, I think for all intents and purposes, people see Trump as the Republican nominee. CBS News Brief, I'm Allison Keyes. And I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning, and we have online with us today Patrick Connor, who's the state director of the National Federation of Independent Business, and Pat's very busy right now down in Olympia, keeping track of all those bills. We were just talking about uh, 
a bill which would spread out the cost of uh, to all employers, I guess, in case of striking employees. I did notice here in your notes that the uh, the Saced House uh, bill was amended so that it, it didn't start until after the second Sunday of the strike. So that I don't know if that's a little better or a lot. But uh, anyway, Patrick, let's keep going here. What else do you want to hit us on with? Uh, well, one of the issues that has uh, uh, been a priority for NFIB for a couple of years is back again uh, this session. We've got bills in the House and the Senate to require um, original equipment manufacturers, as they're called, mm-hmm. uh, to provide uh, parts, tools, instructions, so that uh, folks uh, are able to repair their own digital devices. Right. So to right to repair. repair has been a yep has been a big deal here and in a number of other states. Uh, California has passed it, as have Colorado, Minnesota, New York. Uh, basically, it's your stuff. You ought to be able to decide who you take it to to have it repaired, or you ought to be able to repair it yourself if you choose to do that. Um, Apple and a couple of industry uh, tech industry um, groups that uh, they fund are uh, back again opposing it, which is interesting since Apple came to the table, negotiated the deal, and supported the same bill in California. Um, so I guess Apple is kind of... <laughs> can't decide uh, where they're at on this issue. It's hard to understand why California consumers deserve to have the right to repair, uh, to fix their own stuff, or decide who fixes it for them. But Washington consumers, uh, according to Apple, need to be stuck in a situation where you've got to take your iPhone or um, Macintosh computer to the local Best Buy or Genius Bar for them to try and fix it. And if they can't, uh, especially the case of cell phones, they just send it away and you've got to buy a new one or wait for a replacement to arrive. So um, we're hopeful that this time the bills uh, have got a better chance of getting through. We hear that House leadership is telling Apple to come to the table, um, and so hopefully we'll see a positive resolution before the end of session uh, and pass it to the House or the Senate bill there. And the bill's also kind of been expanded, hasn't it, to other types of equipment? I noticed something in there about farm equipment and egg equipment and wheelchairs and what have you, motorized wheelchairs. So, Yes, there seems to be some pretty broad agreement that motorized wheelchairs uh, should be included in the bill. The advocates uh, have been very vocal and uh, have showed up to testify and are reaching out to legislators and explaining the difficulties that they face uh, when their wheelchair is, is uh, has to be sent away to a repair shop. And there's only two main manufacturers, I believe, that uh, handle those kinds of that, that produce and then handle those kinds of repairs. So they're often waiting weeks or months uh, in order to get their wheelchair fixed. Mm-hmm. And it creates terrible health benefits, obviously reduces mobility. The, uh, they're unable at times to get to their job um, and kind of locked at home in bed until those chairs are, are fixed. So there does seem to be agreement that that should be included. Um, and then there's a division within the farm community about including agricultural equipment on the one hand, you've got the Farm Bureau, who nationally has signed a memorandum of understanding with John Deere and some other farm equipment manufacturers. Um, they've tried that route before. They did it in, I think, 2018 in California and never could figure out how to make it work. But in 2023, I think it was, uh, they signed a nationwide agreement, and somehow that's supposed to be better. But uh, either party can withdraw from the MOU with just 30 days' notice. So, of course, we've questioned, what does that do to a farmer who's ordered parts and equipment, sure. uh, parts and, and the tools and things? Um, if that agreement gets terminated, well, they're waiting for that stuff to arrive. So sure. um, you've got Dairy Federation and some of the, the smaller farmers and, and agricultural groups who have uh, voiced strong support for, for that provision. But right now it looks like the farm equipment, uh, other off-road equipment, would be eliminated from the bill and the latest striking amendment that's been offered. So, as I mentioned, it's uh, still an ongoing conversation uh, trying to bring Apple and now I think the farm manufacturers, uh, farm equipment manufacturers to the table to find out where we can can reach common ground and make it easier for folks to take care or repair their their own stuff instead of uh, being stuck in a cycle where you've got to pay too much and wait too long for an authorized uh, repair facility owned by the manufacturer to do it, um, or simply have to basically uh, send it to the landfill and and buy a new one. 
Sounds like a little common sense here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd like to think so, but uh, you go to these hearings and sometimes you wonder. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. So what else are we focusing on? Uh, well, there's one that I think is particularly galling uh, that might be kind of fun to share. So in the House, uh, we've got House Bill 2031, and this one would uh, affect the workers' compensation system mm-hmm. by making uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, a presumptive occupational disease. Get this, for coroners. <laughs> so I'm, I'm reading this one. I, I, when I read it, I went, went through these. I read it each week when you said about I read it again last <laughs> night, and I'm sitting there reading this, and I'm saying, huh? Yeah. So we as a state have already allowed PTSD claims and workers' compensation for first responders. Um, And then from there, we went to uh, the 911 operators. And then we went to nurses. uh, And now we want to go to coroners. And it just, to me, this seems ludicrous given that then 33 of the 39 counties, coroners are elected. So it's not like these guys just took the only job available to them in order to put bread on a table and a roof over their family's head. They've elected they to out. be a coroner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they filed for office. They raised mm-hmm. money. They went door-to-door begging people to vote for them, uh, got the job, and then apparently were surprised to find out they would have to look at dead bodies during the day. Um, you know, and as a result, they're, <laughs> they're wanting to file uh, PTSD claims uh, around the time they retire, and it just it, it seems ridiculous to me. But this is the kind of things that we do in Washington to make the system more expensive for everybody by carving out uh, these different groups and giving them special benefits under the workers' compensation system. Um, and you know, to add insult to injury, keep in mind that these corners are public officials, so voters, taxpayers, we're we're picking up the tab for their salary, for their benefits. And then now they want to to add to that with these PTSD claims that can lead to a lifetime retirement benefit or pension benefit uh, that's paid for um, in part by workers, 25%, but 75% of the cost is borne by employers. Wow. So, you know, the taxpayers of these in those counties where uh, one of these corners gets a, a pension package. They're going to be paying more in workers' comp premiums in addition to all the other dollars they're spending on these people who ran for office to get this job and then, again, somehow uh, are disconcerted by the work that they volunteered to do. I note in your uh, notes that when they had the hearing that the NFIB was the only organization that uh, stood up in opposition to it. Is that still the case? Um, I think some other groups have uh, may have expressed some concern as a result of our testimony, um, but uh, this is a we have had the same challenge in previous iterations of this. Um, it typically has only been a couple of us that are willing to stand up uh, in these committees and explain why it's bad policy. Because how is it not easier to be sympathetic to law enforcement officers, sure. firefighters? Sure. Uh, nurses who see these terrible things right? Uh, and, you know, are put in terrible positions where uh, PTSD is a likely outcome, um, you know, but it becomes, I think, easier to object to these when it's somebody who has not just volunteered, but actively gone out and pursued voter approval of them serving in these offices where this is the job day to day. Well, and uh, I know, know what you people. said that the... Uh... LNI estimates this costs an average $650,000 each. Mm-hmm. If just 10% yeah. of the group were to file claims, the cost of the state fund would be nearly $9 million. That's only if 10% of them. So you got 32 or 33 elected. So if three of them file a claim, the cost of the state would be would be $32 million bucks. Yeah, well, in addition to the coroners, the bill would cover some of their staff. Mm-hmm. So I think the total... Um, count of the number of el- potentially eligible individuals is something closer to 150. Yeah. Um, wow. Wow. So about, but still about 15 of them at $650,000 each takes a year, nearly $10 million in cost. And that's based on the current compensation rate coming out of the fund, which goes up based on 
uh, cost of living allowances and, and other inflationary factors each year. Wow. So, you know, it could be $10 million in, in 2024, not 2025, but mm-hmm. in future years, the cost is just going to continue to go up. We got a couple minutes before break. You want to squeeze one more in here real quick? Um, yeah, let's, uh, let's see. Um, well, there's another one that's a little irritating to us. Uh, so paid family medical leave has been on the books now since, I think, 2018. Um, it didn't actually take effect until uh, later. So I think we're in year four now where people have been eligible to use paid family medical leave benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, taxes tripled in the first three years of the program, as we said they might. Um, and then for 2024, the tax level has actually gone back down. But for some reason, we have a legislator who doesn't like the idea that workers have to pay part of the premiums for the paid family medical leave program and instead wants to go back on a deal that was carefully negotiated uh, that exempted out small businesses with fewer than 50 employees from having to pay the employer share premium. So those small employers are still collecting the tax from their workers and sending that into the state, but they themselves are not having to pay the portion of the premium mm-hmm. uh, that applies to larger employers. Uh, and in exchange for that, those small employers then are ineligible to receive um certain benefits for training, outfitting, equipping replacement workers when they have somebody that goes on uh, PFML for 12 or 16 weeks, depending on what they're eligible for. Uh, And so we find that to be unfair. It was a fairly recent negotiation. Uh, We were assured that small businesses would be able to be treated differently, and now they want to renege on that deal and force small employers to have to pay their portion of premiums, even though the the cost of the system went down this year. And when you dig into who's using the program, those employees for those in uh, 49 and fewer, 50 and fewer uh, employers are actually underutilizing the program compared to their share of the workforce. Yeah, you said employers with 500 plus are the ones that are all doing, used, are taking advantage yeah. of it. Yeah, so, you know, there's something like uh, 45% of the workforce, but they're using more than 55% of the benefits. Wait a minute. Why wouldn't you charge the people who are using it more than those who are underutilizing? So uh, that one, despite the the, uh, sponsor's assurances the bill wasn't going to go anywhere, the bill has been reported out of the House Labor Committee and is headed to the floor. So, um yeah, that's one where the the sort of betrayal is uh, multifaceted there, given the the, uh, the negotiations that went on and how hard uh, the business community fought for that provision. Wow. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I noticed another one in here that I'm going to mention real quick before we go, and that's paid sick leave for snow days. That ought to be fun to talk about. We'll be back <laughs> in a minute. <laughs> Thank you. You've earned your retirement and you're ready to fully embrace it. So why not do it with style at Meadow Greens Retirement? You'll enjoy active, independent living with amenities like the library lounge, wellness program, and expansive social calendar. Indulge in three daily meals made from scratch, get pampered at the on-site salon, and join in for Friday night socials. Meadow Greens is active retirement, the only locally owned retirement facility in the county with one and two bedroom apartments with full kitchens offering the freedom of eating in or enjoying a meal at the Outward Nine or the Duck Hook Bistro. Meadow Greens can also be of help when it's time to transition from an independent apartment to assisted living. Hi, I'm Josh Howe, director here at Meadow Greens. I'd like to personally invite you to come to our community. I look forward to showing you all that we have to offer. Call Meadow Greens today to arrange a private tour at 354-8200 and online at meadowgreenslinden.com. The grass is always greener at Meadow Greens. Wilson's Furniture's winter sale is going on now. Your chance to save store-wide on living, dining, bedroom furniture and mattresses at the best prices of the year. Stop at Wilson's Furniture today. It's Wilson's Furniture's annual winter sale going on now. Wilson's on Pacific Highway in Ferndale. The YMCA is just a starting line. For the true self blooms only when we find our purpose, what makes us tick below the surface. Why is the before-work hustle an after-school home? A section of my block, a corner to call my own. With my why, I stand strong, seen and supported all along. 
It's a million faces in a mirror, and everyone belongs. Find your why. Join today at YMCA.org for a better us. CHS Northwest specializes in timely deliveries of warmth, comfort, safety, and savings. CHS Northwest is now delivering propane in your neighborhood. Call today and sign up for a whole new service experience for your propane. CHS Northwest, everything you need for home and farm. Because there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning. Again, if you got questions for me, you can always give me a call, 360-733-1200. And once again, we have Patrick Connor with us today. Patrick is the State Director for the National Federation of Independent Business. He's busy in Olympia right now working to help guide and protect and all the other good things, different pieces of legislation going through the legislature. What do you think about that paid live for sick days? <laughs> I'm not sure what to think. Or snow it days, snow laugh, days. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we've got an initiative in place that allows uh, each worker to take a certain number of, of sickly, uh, sick days that they have accrued. Um, it, you know, and it makes sense that somebody who's sick ought to stay home, take care of themselves. If they've got a sick kid or other family member, again, it makes sense that you would want them to stay home, take care of that individual, get them healthy again. But the, the latest effort here is to uh, require employers to pay workers uh, sick leave in cases where inclement weather uh, closes a school or a daycare. So uh, it just I think we're doing everything we can, Dick, in order to incentivize people not to come to work. Um, and for small businesses that are struggling to find enough workers to fill openings, so uh, the owner and other workers are, are already carrying a heavier load uh, just because there's not enough workers out there that want to work. This is just one more reason that it makes it more difficult. Um, you know, you could have a two-hour late start because of, of snow or ice. Uh, and according to this law, that worker would then be able to take the whole day instead of getting their kid on the bus or taking them to school two hours late and then finishing the day on the job. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's just it, it makes it more difficult for the few people who are actually out there working to be able to to, to get the work done and take care of customers. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, you know, customers who aren't getting the service they're accustomed to or uh, think they they want or deserve. Um, you know, take it out on some of the remaining employees because it takes them too long to get things done. So, um, you know, it's on the one hand, you want to be sympathetic to people that are stuck in positions where uh, the kids at home, somebody's got to watch out for them. Um, but, you know, on the, the other side of that coin, work needs to be done. And if people are going to accept jobs, there's an expectation they're going to show up and do those jobs so long as they are, um, you know, healthy enough to do so. You know, the other issue that I saw one here come up uh, that I guess kind of I've, I've, I also am very active with the Washington Policy Center, so they put a summary out on this here a couple, three weeks ago about the uh, proposal to raise the cap on on uh, property tax increases from 1% to 3%. And people aren't mm-hmm. aware, but that was done with a an initiative back in 2001, 2002, something like that. So nearly 60% of the voters voted in favor of it. And I think then uh, the governor called a special session of the legislature and basically formalized the 1% cap. But there's a, press, there's a pressure now to raise that cap to a 3% increase. Is that still alive? Uh, yeah, I believe it is. Um, some of those bills... Uh, so if it's related to tax or uh, budget issues, they're subject to a different deadline. So the fiscal committees have more time to decide when to hear them and when to act on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the Senate uh, Ways and Means Committee did hear a bill that would do exactly what you said. It would lift that cap from 1%, which really isn't 1%, uh, up to 3%. And it's a combination of factors. It's uh, not just the legislature, but it's local governments, counties in particular, mm-hmm. um, who have been pushing to get more revenue. And, um, you know, with the counties, it's a little tough to blame them because the state keeps passing things that are mandates on the county governments uh, and then not giving county governments the funding they need in order to carry out those additional responsibilities. 
But, uh, you know, it, it comes back to not listening to the taxpayers. We have said more than once mm-hmm. that we believe there ought to be that 1% cap on property taxes, that people shouldn't be taxed out of their home. Um, and, you know, the legislature is just kind of turning a deaf ear because they know better. So that well, 1% when they pass cap, something like this, I think you're going to find an awful lot of people. I happen to put a couple of ballots in the mail today voting on school levies, but I think you're going to find a lot of people start voting no on those type of things. They're going to create other levels of problems that uh, that people are just going to say, well, I can't voice somewhere else. I'm going to be voting this way, and that's why. Well, and I think you've got a good point. The legislature is also considering a bill that would reduce the vote count needed in order to pass school levies, because in some communities that's already happened, um, where voters have, have said no, but the argument is, well, it requires a supermajority in order to pass a school levy. We don't think it should take 60 percent. We think it should only take 50 percent. Uh, and the problem with that is, as you know, being a business owner, um, a lot of times the those businesses are located in a different jurisdiction than when, where the owner resides, meaning then that that small business owner who's providing goods and services in that locality doesn't get to vote on whether the taxes go up or not. Right. So in theory, you could have a whole bunch of renters um, that sway the, the total increase of taxes, and they're only indirectly paying the tax uh, that applies primarily to somebody else. So um, you're right. There are legislatures considering bills to make it easier to increase taxes, and now they want to increase the cap. And, uh, you know, Katie, bar the door. Uh, we're going to be back to the battle days where um, low income and, and senior citizen folks on fixed incomes are going to be at a loss to be able to pay uh, higher and higher property taxes. Wow. Hey, we've got about four minutes left, Patrick. So what 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 other item one or two that you think we ought to talk about that listeners ought to be aware of? Um, well, there's uh, a little NFIB requested bill that was heard yesterday that we're hoping makes it out of committee next week. Um, after the floods in Whatcom, the wildfires in eastern and central Washington, uh, and the pandemic, uh, we have seen where businesses have been shut down by a government order. And in some cases, it takes months or years to be able to get all the permits in place to rebuild uh, and reopen. And so we worked with the Department of Revenue on language that would uh, protect those businesses who are unable to be in operation for um, up to 36 months. Um, Typically, you renew your business license annually. The Department of Revenue gives you a little bit of wiggle room if you're late. We can get as much as 120 days leniency. But after that, you are subject to um, a set of penalties in addition to having to pay a higher um, application fee for your business license. Uh, You pay as a new business, not as a renewal. Um, and we think that's a poor way to treat businesses that have been affected by a massive disaster or declared emergency. And so this bill would, as I mentioned, give uh, those businesses up to 36 months to be able to uh, to rebuild, reopen, and be able to do so as a renewing business, not a new business, since that's what they are, saving them a little bit of money and saving them some hassle. But also uh, one of the big things is if you – don't renew on that annual renewal date uh, within the uh, that additional grace period. Uh, you are likely to you to lose your uh, UBI number, so the, the state tax ID number. Um, and I suspect you probably have yours memorized for all the paperwork that you've got to put it on. So imagine having to learn a new one and having to change all of your other local, state, and federal filings with new tax information, new tax mm-hmm. identification information. Wow. So we think it's a small common sense change, and we're hopeful we'll be able to get it out of the House uh, uh, committee next week and uh, get it through the process. About a minute and a half left. One more. Oh, um, let's see. Uh, I think I'll just say in general, there are a whole lot of bills affecting small businesses and their bottom line, whether it increases the benefits to workers' compensation, uh, increased eligibility for unemployment insurance expansion of paid family medical leave and who is eligible to take leave, um, or if it is the expansion of uh, the use of sick days, the legislature is poised to make it that much more difficult for small businesses in particular 
to be able to uh, make their payroll, to make a tiny profit, and to keep operating. So if if you work for a small business, if you own a small business, if you care about the businesses of your community, you need to start reaching out to your legislators and let them know, do no harm. Well, I see this small business retirement plan thing. Now I'm in the business of, of course, working <laughs> with that kind of thing. To me, it's just it's a duplicative of what is already available out there. So it just it it just doesn't make sense. Some of the stuff, some of the paths that they try to go down, and and um, you know they they're creating problems by trying to do what they're doing, and it just doesn't make a lot of sense. I guess sometimes, of course, I kind of have my biases anyway, but. Well, and on that one, we've already got existing folks like you out there Mm -hmm. offering this to the private market and doing so successfully for decades. Then we added on the the state retirement marketplace that has been a Mm -hmm. dud. It's been under-resourced by the Department Mm -hmm. of Commerce. Most small businesses don't know it exists. And now they're talking about adding not just one, but two other state-run programs. So in theory, we could have three different state-run retirement marketplaces offering different products to the same group of folks. Yep. And it's unclear how you would comply with uh, the edicts coming from two different boards and three different agencies administering three similar programs in addition to what's already available in the private market. So, and, being, and being in the business I am, I can also say that most mm-hmm. of those are underperforming as far as return for the investor. So it, it's, uh, it's not a good, good path to go down. Hey, Patrick, I want to thank you for being with us. We'll get you back on a time or two here before the session's over. And I uh, appreciate your taking your time on Saturday to be with us today. This has been Dick Donahue with Well Wake Up Live here on KGMI. Don't forget our show tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. And thanks. If you got questions, again, give us a call, 360-733-1200. Have a great week. voiced on the show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision.